If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, you beautiful, beautiful people. Welcome to yet another episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so glad you're here. Because you know what you're in time for is the first episode of a brand new series. And we're doing a brand new series on reconstruction. Yeah, there you go. We can't wait to jump into this. Um, But hey, before we get to that, you know, we need to probably introduce ourselves. So uh, as I said, my name is Keith Giles. Uh, I'm the author of several books in the Jesus Un series. The most recent one is Jesus Unexpected. Um, It's about the end times. And uh, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt and Katie and... Derek and you know whoever else wants to jump on in. There's so many of us, guys and gals. Introduce yourself, please. I'm curious who the other who the other ones are. Is the Holy Spirit dropping by today? <laughs> introduce yourself. Always in the I can't keep track. Elijah. All right. I am Katie Valentine. Happy to be here, and I'm really excited about this series. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self Control, and I I just got back from a writing retreat where I started my my next book, and it'll be all about metaphysics, but is yet untitled. So I'll be updating you all about that as we move along. Cool. Hey, y'all. I'm Derek Day. I'm the resident asshole here. <laughs> Dethrone Matt on that. Whatever. You know, that that role. But Whatever. yeah, I'm the, I am the, uh, the host of the Forward Podcast, Shameless Plug, and I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, and I'm working on another book as well. Hey. How you like that? Hey, hey, hey. And... Are, are we all working on books right now? Because sure. I, I, I'm working on a couple of books right now, but um, I got I got one that just came out. It's the third installment of the Bonfire Sessions. It's autumn. <laughs> you know what, Ralph? <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> I'm just gonna quit right now. I'm out. Does it, God. But doesn't he actually produce the, that podcast? Yes, it's on choir. I don't it's know. What choir. What maybe it's hell? not. Maybe it's not selling as well as he'd like. But. <laughs> I'll tell I you what. I want to know what the bonfire sessions is about. It's it's it's. Why don't you tell us? It's it's like Seinfeld. It's it's about nothing. <laughs> it's uh. It's that's why it's only ninety nine cents on Kindle because it's about nothing. That's right. It, no, it's just a conversation between Michael Machuga and I, and it goes in various various ways and all over the place. And it's kind of like quantum stuff. It's it's there. It's here. It's everywhere. Yeah. It jumps all over the map. It's an enjoyable read. You read it in an hour and you're done. You could forget about it. Think of Mike and Matt smoking weed over a bonfire. That's it. And there you have it. And yeah, and there you go. Thank you, Derek. You need to be my uh, spokesperson here. (laughs) Keith and I are off drinking tea in the corner. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have some tea. So yeah, excited for a new new series. As as much as I love the conspiratorial waters, it's it's time for a new series. So stoked to be doing it with y'all. Yeah. But before we get into that, Derek, don't you have something to announce, like a hotline or something? <laughs> yes, indeed, I do. That if you want to get in touch with us heretics, you can do so by exercising finger dexterity and dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, 240-343-7379. And I've been told that we have a voicemail, so roll that beautiful voicemail footage. Hey, this is Dalen Elliott from Springfield, Missouri. Um, Your episode with Rita was fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. Really enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying the show. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hmm. 
I'm dying to know what was amazing about it for for you. So (laughs) send us another message to let us know what was exciting. (laughs) Yeah, which episode? All all of it was just fucking amazing. The whole thing. Well, that was a short voicemail, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we we really appreciate that. You know what? Thank you for for listening. Yeah. You know what? uh, I love in a short, enthusiastic voicemail that manages to get an F-bomb in there. (laughs) And that's leaving us even more time for our heretic of the week. And before we even get there, I have a question for all of you. Do you know what wins? Um, Oh, God, I see where this is going. Does anyone? Masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) Our of the week will really appreciate that. (laughs) I I, I won't delay this announcement anymore, y'all. This is a big one. We have Rob Bell, who kicked a lot of this, um, kicked a lot of this off with his book, Love Wins, you know, more than a decade ago. And we got to interact with him. So let's get to our heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, this is Rob Bell, and I cannot hear the word heretic without laughing because it's so ridiculous. I'm glad you think it's ridiculous, and you're in, then you're in the right spot because yes. this is the heretic happy hour. So I, I guess for our listeners, they, they probably know all about you, and unless they've been living under a rock, but... Um, why, why in the world would anyone consider Rob Bell a heretic? Probably because when people use the word faith, sometimes what they actually are talking about is fear. Mm. Large, organized, well-funded, egoic structures based in the reptilian brain that are stuck in earlier stages of threat assessment. So anything new... Anything that doesn't fit squarely within a particular understanding has to be kept at bay and has to be shot down because otherwise the whole thing might come crumbling down. Mm -hmm. So at one level, it's philosophical. At one level, it's cultural, it's economics, it's politics, but it's also biological. It's thousands of years of threat assessment and the failure to move beyond basic understandings of what you do with something that you haven't seen before. So are you telling us that heresy is rooted in science? (laughs) I'm saying, well, I'm saying you can see sometimes it's pre-rational. Yeah. It doesn't even know what it's doing because it's so instinctual. Right. So is it nature or nurture? There you go. (laughs) There you go. Those two, you duct tape those two together and you can often have quite a system. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. It, it is very much a uh, defense mechanism against wanting to protect um, certain, certainly in religion, certain systems and beliefs that um, they don't want anyone to think outside the box because to do so threatens their structures, their economics, right? It's one of those things where what's that the comment? It's very difficult to get a man to see something when his uh, livelihood depends upon him not seeing it. Paycheck. Right, 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 right. And yet, orthodoxy and heresy have a much-needed dance. You have to have the heretic. Otherwise, central command becomes calcified, and it ends up in concrete. Mm-hmm. So, so the center, the uh, central headquarters... <laughs> absolutely desperately needs the heretic to keep making sure that that the clay stays soft 
Yeah. So what's so fascinating is like you think about all different wisdom and spiritual traditions over the ages, whenever you developed a centralized institution, healthy ones always then anointed or appointed somebody to stay on the outer edge and look over to the next valley, look off the top of the mountain to what's coming to keep us fresh. So you can even see businesses that develop like a skunk works. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they set up a warehouse down the street and tells me, just go, just, just explore. Because they know that their vitality is directly linked to whoever is crossing the lines and extending out beyond the map. So what's fascinating is orthodoxy itself has a lifeblood connection, an umbilical cord with heretics. Wow. So all you people I'm talking to, you heretics, like we, we love heretics. We need heretics. You have to celebrate them or the whole thing crashes. I love it that we can serve in this way. Thank you for yes. drawing out that relationship for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes you, so much sense though. And actually, yeah. you think about how many people who think about how many kids at a young age stepped outside of whatever the assumptions, the schemas, the structures were and picked up a primal, like a primal red blinking light of don't do that. And yet it's the exploring and it's the new creation waiting to burst forth, which is where all the vitality is. Like we need, we need the heretics. Dude. It's like you, you've, you were such a game changer for me because I've, I've, I'm on the record as saying this, that I believe the theology is the only major branch of study that hasn't really moved in the last, um, I don't know, 1700 years. Oh, and, wow. and, and, but you know, it, when dude, you are as close as they come to the Niels Bohr's of theology. Oh, Let's just stop there. I'm in my front yard with my hands raised above my head. <laughs> no, I mean, because, you know, here's this is what I say is that, you know, you'll find people that move incremental um, units. They move pockets of theology. But when you're looking for the sea change, you're looking for the Henry Ford. You're looking for the uh, Nikolai Tesla. You're looking for the, the Niels Bohr's. You're, you know, those people, the people who made this gargantuan shift, this paradigm shift in how we looked at things, you know, uh, Gordon, uh, Gordon Moore, uh, people like that. That's, and, and you are as close to that. I mean, when I read love wins and what you wrote about hell, dude, I was, I was done. Stick a fork in me. I was fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Let's be friends. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, when I, I remember early on realizing that when Jesus talked about heaven and hell, he was talking about present states of consciousness. He was talking about the human capacity to take yes. part in the ongoing creation of the world. And when I remember, I'm probably late 20s, early 30s, realizing you don't need a divine being to create a hell. We create plenty of hell on our Thank own. You. Thank yeah. you. And when yeah. I all I remember, it was just like, wait a second. The people who talk the most about hell when you die are the people who talk the least about the hells on earth right now. Right. Come on. And right. then when 
I came to understand that time itself is an illusion, which I, I think is going to be the next 10 years. The time is a persistent illusion that past, present, and future are all constructs. If you go up in an airplane and I stay on the ground, your watch will run faster than mine. Because the farther you are away from a mass like the Earth, the more time speeds up. Mm-hmm. So when you realize the only thing that lasts forever is now, that every memory you have takes part in the present, every anticipation of the future only can take part in the present, the only thing you and I have ever had is the present. Mm-hmm. And that these constructs of hell and torture, et cetera, et cetera, are all built around an understanding of time that isn't actually how time is. That what we have is this moment and what we're creating in this moment. And that's where all the heaven and hell is happening. Oh, good God. Yeah. That was like, change the game. Man, I, I'm looking for an organ keyboard. I'm, I'm, I'm on a virtual <laughs> Give me some Hammond right B3 now. swirls. Woo, right here. Look here, man. Hey, look, I was about to hit you in C sharp, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. What, what's so amazing about what you're saying, Rob, is, and it reminds me that you have to be like a child. It's like my daughter. She's nine. She gets this, She likes to play this thing where she's like, daddy, it's now. And then yes. now, and it's now, and it's now, and it's now. And she can go on and she thinks it's hilarious. It's like, we just got to be like a 10 year old. Absolutely. There's a, there is a return. It's childlike, not childish. Childish right. is the refusal yeah, to yeah, grow up. Exactly. Childlike is the realization that wonder and awe were the only game to be playing anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was the game anyway. Yeah. It's a whole new spin on being born again. Yes. Right. Yeah. And like being yeah. right. Become a child of God. Even what does that, what does that mean for our, right. the fullness of our spirits? Right. All of these images are actually fantastic ways of talking about what it means to be fully alive. Is do you feel like I, my slate, got wiped clean. I feel like I'm just starting out. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's why these images have endured for thousands of years. They're really powerful ways of naming the experiences that matter most. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I came across something a few years ago, um, about, it was, a, it was a phrase that the early Christians used to use as sort of a, almost like a mantra or something. And I, it was in the Latin, it was something like conversatio morem. But it's, there's two ways to understand it. One is death to the status quo, which sounds like the, the most amazing you know, tattoo you could ever get. That's yeah, pretty good. But, but the other way uh, of, of translating it, and I think is the way they meant it, is constant conversion. In other words, the, the status ah, quo that nice. is constantly dying is mine. Right. I am constantly daily dying. I'm daily being converted. It's not, a, oh, I did that when I was 10. Yeah. It's like, no, every right, morning right, right. I wake up and I experience this. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. 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 But if you think about it in terms of time, when, when, when a day ends, that day dies. Mm. And this goes to Rob's point that, that every, every, the only thing that we have the title deed to in, on the great timeline of eternity is now. Yeah. Yeah. Because yesterday, yesterday has either been foreclosed upon or, or, or satisfied and tomorrow's not promised. We have right now. Yeah. This is like process theology in the, uh, real live right here. (laughs) Yes. In my new book, I talk about how, the moment that you pin down a butterfly so that you can study its wings with the most exact precision is the exact moment in which the butterfly can't fly. Mm. And so what happened to ultimate reality, source, divine, spirit, is this great theological act of pinning down the wings 
in the process. Anybody who's trying to prove to you there's a God has already denied this God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is far more of a verb than a noun, this experience that we're having. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's motion. Yeah. It's, it's like quantum physics that, that the mere act of observation yes. alters, the, alters what you're observing. The act of observing affects what the particle even does. There is no separation. There is no line between you and this thing that is happening by observing it, it's happening. So when someone says, I'm just going to sit this one out, no one anywhere is sitting this one out. <laughs> I love it. God part- damn, I'm having church right now. <laughs> it's man. a participatory universe. And when you come to understand that the subject-object duality, which is how you build airports and iPhones and hospitals, it was lovely at one level, isn't true at the deepest levels of soul and spirit that what we now know from quantum physics is that the observation affects what even happens. That's right. There is no line. Your consciousness is shaping what you think to, is the world. Yes. So we're all in this game. Yeah. It's all movement, motion. We're caught up in something. Whew. See, that's just so much more interesting than yeah. God is immutable. <laughs> God is omniscient. <laughs> God is Roman numeral C that starts with the same letter. Get out. <laughs> You pin down the butterfly and now it can't fly. Right. It's the, it's, <laughs> so, yeah, what's the, there's actually a song that I, someone shared with me. I think Barrett Johnson shared it with me. Uh, it's a song called, it, it's, uh, the lyric of the song is something like, you're dissecting the bird looking for the song. <laughs> and it's the same exact thing you're talking about, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a little sad with the animal torture references, y'all. Like, <laughs> oh, but then we take the pins out of the butterfly and it can fly away. Yeah, oh, you know. nice. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, a, a nice, a nice resurrection symbol there. But by pinning the wings down, have we altered its ability to fly? Yeah, that's true. Uh, it never, it was never dependent on us. We were fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I loved it. So okay. So metaphor way farther. Yeah, go ahead. No, uh, that that brings me up to the next question. Here is uh, what was your process, your journey? How how is it that you you know when you wrote "Love Wins," that was just such a seminal work, right? What is it that drove you to to that point, and what drives you even further? I mean, you, dude, you're you're uh, <laughs> you were you were like the um, the prime number of heretics. Oh my goodness! You're, I thought you were going to top the Niels Bohr one. I was all excited. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you what happened. I was in a band in college and the band broke up because everybody had to get jobs like you do. Yeah. And I had this existential crises. And my parents had taken us to church growing up. I always found it a bit underwhelming. I always was like, "Wait, wait. This is supposed to be the juice, the mojo, the stuff. Like what are we doing here? What matters? What's it all about?" And yet it just felt like people in sweater vests with acoustic guitars. You know what yep. I mean? This is Wayne. Please oh, yeah. turn to song nine. It was like, wait, wait, wait. This should be like, where's the 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 hips on this? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this should be like, where's the soul? Where's the groove? Where's the... Um, and when the band broke up my senior year of college, through a whole series of crises, I ended up in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. That's all. Actually, I just came, my new book just came out, which is all about all of this. So it's all sort of fresh for me. And I was like, I'm going to go study the big things. I'm going to go do that. There's a job that's almost like your job as a curator of the mysteries called a pastor. I'm going to go do that, but my way. And so I went to seminary and got a master's of divinity, which I laugh now, a master's 
of divinity. Yeah, so you understand so God. Right? You've mastered God. You've mastered, you mastered God. it. Why didn't were we being punk? <laughs> that's like a that's a bit. Like a comedian would be like, it's a master degree of the infinite. And everybody would laugh. Right. Like it's like absurdity was baked into the thing and nobody was going, you realize this is a ridiculous premise. Nevertheless, I had discovered the sermon as an art form. And then I went and got a church job like you do, because I was working this art form. To me, the sermon was guerrilla theater meets performance art, meets a revival, <laughs> meets a recovery meeting. I had I was like Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That was a sermon. Yeah. That was an event. And you were either there or you weren't. Nobody after that event was like, I think he was funnier last week. Mm-hmm. Right, right? Mm-hmm. No. It was it had it 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 was both truth to power and relentlessly hopeful and brutally honest about the oppression and had a sense of vibrant, you cannot quell this revolution to it. And that was the thing is I I for me the sermon had always raised the existential question, what's for lunch? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was just like a f- and yet I had somehow stumbled into the sermon as art form. So to answer your question, that's how it started. But then to do sermons in churches meant reading the Bible. So I was just reading the Bible like 25, 26 and was like, wait a second. This is written by a minority group of people who have been conquered by one global military superpower after another. So these people have very strong opinions about violence and empire. And I was like, how come no one's ever told me this is what the Bible's about? Oh, because you're a citizen of mm-hmm. a global military superpower. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So when the Psalm says some trust in chariots, but we trust in God, you're a son of the people who trust in chariots. Right. You're the bad guys in this narrative. Yes. Um, and as I began to understand that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, to which the first time I heard that, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he was a Christian. But, um, <laughs> he was white, too. So. He was a Baptist, wasn't he? And obviously, yeah, you all are down with this, but I was like, as soon as I discovered the scripture in context, that when a, that when a Jewish rabbi used the word yoke, oh, or the fact that the rabbinical method was asking questions. This is the opposite of brainwashing. Exactly. Pretty much every mm-hmm. time Jesus is asked a question, he responds with a question. Mm. So this whole framework is the opposite of brainwashing. It's all about the divine within and you owning this and interpreting it. Mm. So there were these key moments when I was like, what the, f- is this like a conspiracy? How did this completely badass collection of poems, letters, stories, and rants get hijacked by the very empire that these stories were told to subvert? Like what the, yeah. What, Jerry Falwell, how did you end up being the spokes guy when this, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a deep cut for all of you who are. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I got it. Um, so that's what happened is I just, when I discovered the book of Leviticus was about how does the world get ordered? And if you have a widening gap between rich and poor, the whole thing is going to collapse. And that actually sustainability, economic and environmental is a central premise of the Bible, I was like, this is, this is so unbelievably helpful and profound and brilliant and subversive. And I either walk away from it because it's too tarnished or I'm going to double down and just go for it. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started getting all the critics that started when I was in my early thirties, the people, I started a church and the people who people organized to have me removed from the church Ooh. I started. So it just became absurdist theater. It was Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it happened. Yeah. Wow. So, so by love wins. So by love wins, I was a decade in 
to protesters when I would go and speak places and people organizing to have that. Love Wins came uh, uh, 10 years into that sort of thing. Yeah. You know what? What you need to be on, you you need to get out of the whole religious slash theological sphere. You need to do a fucking TED talk, man. Well, it's interesting you say that because I don't, I'm not ever in religious or spiritual, overtly religious. I'm in clubs and theaters. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't ever actually, I do my, what I discovered is that when I did my work, in spaces that hadn't been labeled religious or spiritual, that's when it popped. Right. Mm. That's when it like, there was a bang. So I just started doing club and theater tours because that was, and there's a music comedy club in my neighborhood here in LA where I do a regular show that the sermon, yeah, it's like an art form. So yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I do. Well, and I, I, it's funny. I tell, um, I, I still am involved in the, in my, in a, in a church world in a moderate to progressive um, circles but I say all the time, I'm like, oh, there's no separation between the um, secular and religious or secular Correct. and spiritual. If we can see that there's no, that the theater is inherently spiritual, yep, then church is everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what happened to me as I, uh, when I came to realize, oh, human beings have been building temples for thousands of years yeah. to meet with their gods. But the second you build a space, a temple, and say, this is where we meet the divine, you have just labeled all other space by default. Right. Not. So you've just split it, like you just said so well. And when I was like, oh. So for thousands of years, people have built temples in order to conceive of the divine. But if you keep the temple up, then you've split the world. And then when I was like, oh, this is why when Jesus says the temple will come down, when he speaks of an apocalypse, what he's speaking of is the temple coming down because the whole thing is a temple. Right. Whole art, science, politics, it's this whole thing is a temple. It's all sacred. Hey, all you, know, you, know what the, you know what the most sacred building in America is? Any Walmart on Sunday. <laughs> because the, the vast majority of, of American Christians say that only 50% of them go to church with any regularity, right? But I would I would humbly submit that I would say somewhere around 90-ish percent of all American Christians go to Walmart, and most of them most of them go on Sunday. Yeah, and when I just began to discover how many people are constantly having experience, transcendent experiences, unmediated experiences of spirit, and don't even know what to do with these experiences because they were taught, unless somebody somewhere approves it and validates it, it's not legitimate. When I began to see just what kind of temple we're living in. Gosh, so freeing. Yeah. Well, I think what's really interesting is that you've, I think what you've discovered, Rob, is that, you know, a lot of the people who are sitting in churches on Sunday, to them, the fact that they're sitting in church on Sunday, for a lot of them, what it means is to them, it isn't broken. And so they're not looking for anyone to fix it. But there are lots and lots of people who have kind of given up on that um, kind of, you know, sermon and a song Sunday experience and have, have decided, well, I, I don't need to find God there. I can, again, like you said, the, I don't want to define it as God's only here. He's obviously everywhere. So, you know, and, and so now you've gone to where those people already are, uh, and you're speaking things that, again, they don't have to go to church to hear these things. They can, like, I just loved, I listened to your um, introduction to joy, and I just thought it was so beautiful and so powerful. It's <laughs> so much better to take that message to a club in Los Angeles <laughs> and to try to even float that, uh, you know, at First Baptist Church. <laughs> no, I think that tour, I think I went to 40 cities around the world 
And mm. that's just, you can imagine each night doing that show. I did three nights at the Fringe Comedy Festival in Scotland. Oh, wow. Did that show. And like sometimes just like, you realize that I'm doing Ecclesiastes for the modern world. We're oh, all clear on that, right? Yeah. So much fun. Yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah. much fun. The fact that, you know, that's, and it, it, yeah, it's not lost. Like it, the, the first half of it is sort of like a comedy routine and it's great. And then, but then you just beautifully, effortlessly slip into all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, he's preaching Ecclesiastes here. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if they noticed, but wow, they're getting a really huge double barrel shotgun blast. Of and, wisdom. Then realize, and then they start to realize that the whole first part of the show was actually the, po- was actually the point of Ecclesiastes. Right. They start to realize that that wasn't random funny. No. There was actually something happening that they're now getting the reveal. Wait, yeah. so I have to get this right. So you present like a deuteronomistic Deuteron- co- covenantal theology, and then you tear it all down with an anti-wisdom ecclesiastical theology? No. Because <laughs> I, I, no. I really want to see that. Like, I would never <laughs> muck it up like that. So, I would say... The, the New Testament scholar in me is coming out. Sorry, I got really excited. It sounds amazing, though. Uh, it's called Introduction to Joy, and it, it was released on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and it's great. Yeah, here, go enjoy. It's yeah. So that's that's what I like to do. Yep, great, really stuff. fun. So, so you did mention you have a new, a brand new book, and um, you know, when, when you sat down and decided you were going to write this book, you know, what was it that made you say the world needs this book? What is it? That, what is the problem you're solving? What is the thing you're answering? What was it burning in you that you decided? This book needs to exist. The first line of the book is, my grandma used to keep cash in her bra. <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that. I love so, that. Yep. What happened is I've been, I'd done these tours called Everything is Spiritual, which were about quantum physics and spirituality and Hebrew poetry and dimensional physics. And so I had the idea for the third Everything is Spiritual tour, but it was going to be another series of ideas about biology and cosmology and quantum physics, sort of blow your mind, et cetera, et cetera. But I kept coming back to where do these ideas come from? Like, why do I see the world the way that I do? And suddenly I was like, oh, my grandma and I used to sit on the porch. She used to keep cash in her bra. (laughs) And we would sit on the porch sometimes out at her farm and listen to the wind come across the fields. And I had this moment, and sometimes we wouldn't talk for a little while. And it was, everything was okay. And I realized that was my first experience of the wordlessness of grace. Wow. When, when everything is okay with the world, even if it isn't. Yeah. That, that there is a grace that transcends language, thought, and concept. It is the moment when all is well, even if it's not well. And suddenly I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes. Oh, that helped shape me. Well, then what happened? Well, her husband died when he was 34. Her, my dad's brother was killed when they were in high school. Oh, I was born into a post-trauma. There were people missing. Yeah. Into the, it's like I stumbled in. And so the book became part memoir, part confession, part the, the narrative of my life. I was like, Oh, if I double down on all these stories and the particulars, maybe that's people will find themselves in the details of my story. Yeah. So it became um, all the stories I've never told. My agent was literally like, I've been watching your work for 20 years. I've never heard any of this. 
it's all stuff I've never told about the pain and angst that shaped me and the pursuit. I remember when we started the church and it had 10,000 people coming within two years and I would talk to other pastors and they would tell me about a book they were reading that was like blowing their mind. But then they would say something like, but I couldn't share this with the church because I'd get fired. Right. And I remember thinking, I can't do that. I can't live split. I have to follow this where it's taking me. And there was this giant institution. It took 900 volunteers to run the children's ministry. So I'm like 30 years old. There's millions and millions of dollars coming in. We had taken over an old mall. I had to give the sermon three times on Sunday. And I remember thinking, this whole thing is designed for me to be consistent and say the same things so that that's how you bring in the donations. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this realization, I'm not here to do this. (laughs) I'm here to grow and follow it where it leads. So that might, this, just this realization, I have to follow it where it takes me. And if it disrupts, if I get critics, if I blow this whole thing up, at least I'll have my integrity and my soul. So the book sort of takes you through um, what that was like and what I learned and how it shaped me. And then I discovered quantum physics and it goes, it loops and it, it's my life, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's what the book's about. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Like, you know, I, I want to say, uh, I, I have to say this before we let you, you know, not that we're, we're not. I'm not sending you away or anything, but I just, I feel like I need to say personally, just like Rob, I'm, I'm so grateful for you that you you. are doing exactly, you're, you're doing exactly what you were made to do. Like I, when I hear you speak, when I read your books, I, I see someone who is doing purely what he was made to do and say. And I'm very grateful for that because I feel like I and this podcast, you know, all of us on this podcast and everyone even listening to this podcast, we, we say thank you because you were a pioneer. You did things that uh, that made it possible for us to to say things and and write things and mm, um, wow. and you took but you took the hit. You know what I mean? As the pioneer, as the first guy to blaze the trail, you paid a pretty heavy price, certainly in the beginning. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. Oh my goodness, that's so meaningful. That's so meaningful. Yeah, you're like the Meriwether Clark of <laughs> of heretics, man. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know. When my wife Kristen and I got married, we had this sense that it was an, that life is an adventure mm-hmm. that you get to go on, which could sound like a travel brochure, but <laughs> we were 23 and it was the early 90s, and it never obviously there are bits of it that were like, "What is this is tough?" But as it, it had a wondrous caught up in it, what's next? Where, where what's coming? Where are we going? What, what's the next? Mm-hmm. It's had this sort of wide-eyed discovery. It's it feels like now actually it feels like it more than ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, that feeling is getting even stronger. I didn't know if that was that was possible. It's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it didn't feel like some slog. It felt like felt like all right. What's next? Yeah. You mentioned the word freedom too in there that it felt freeing. Yeah. Yeah. You, Your realization. I cannot scary, believe but you would not believe how many leaders. I always say they come Nicodemus style at night. Yes, <laughs> exactly. They're yep. I get a lot of they're those. part of a structure, and when they have a chance to share what it's really like, and you th- and you just go, "Hey, you can make, you could leave, you could make a new one. You have options here. You have even your listeners to your podcast. Yeah. You always, always have options. Yep. You can start something in your living room, like 
start the thing that you would love to be a part of. You you don't need a budget for that. Right. You need a living room, you need a backyard, right? a couple chairs. Yeah. Well, Rob, uh, this has been an amazing conversation and we are, we're all pretty giddy oh that we, ma- we managed to make this happen. So uh, if anybody doesn't know where to find you or how to follow you or where, you're, where to get your books, could you please clue them in? Uh, well, yeah, sure. There's a, uh, the Robcast episodes most weeks. Uh, um, the new book is called Everything is Spiritual and I'm so happy it's out in the world. And um, the new film is called An Introduction to Joy and my 12-hour audio commentary on the book of Leviticus is called Blood, Guts, and Fire, the Gospel According to Leviticus. Baby. You're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> I need that. I need that in my life. I need that too. Guts and fire. Hey. I, I like that. Fire. I knew about the others. I didn't know about this Oh my one. goodness. I'm excited. The Leviticus thing came out last year. It's such, yeah. Where do you get so this? What is this? Is it an audio on book? Is it a book? It's a 12, it's audio, it's a long form audio on my site, you'll see Blood, Guts, and Fire. There's the 12-hour Leviticus you can download. Then there's a seven-hour, an eight-hour project called Something to Say, which is all about the art of communicating. Mm. So it's all of my mm. best attempt to talk about how we communicate compellingly. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, we did this project on observations on being a parent called Launching Rockets, which is two, uh, it's 17... It's two hours of me giving you my 17 observations about being a parent. And then it's an hour of my wife giving her observations of my observations. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Very meta. I like it. <laughs> Making stuff. It's really, really fun. Oh, that's so cool. Well, Rob, we love what you're doing. Please keep doing what you're doing because you are doing what you were made to do. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and thank we love you. you, man. Thank you. Oh, love to all of you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Love Thank you, you for being here. Thanks for being Bye-bye. here. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, man. Did that really happen? Because um, that was amazing. I am a fucking fanboy. I think Rob Bell likes us. I think we won him over as we went. That was good. Did love win? Yes. Love absolutely won. <laughs> and Which means masturbation wins, right? Of course. Well, hey, that's, self-love is the most important love, right? <laughs> so I hear. So I hear. Well, at least you finished first. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you know, George Benson, George Benson and Whitney Houston said the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. There right. you go. Come on, guys. Oh, that was no, but for real, that for real, that was uh yeah, kind of surreal. So that was cool to actually talk to Rob. Yeah. Yeah, such a great guy. And um man, amazing. You know, we we have a list, you know, you guys don't know if you listen to the podcast, you should know we we keep a list of sort of like our dream list of people that we would love to interview. Uh, I was at Heritage of the Week, and Rob was definitely in probably like the top five of that list. Yep. So that was huge. We are so, so pleased, so grateful. Thank you, Rob. Man, amazing. And I think, you know, kind of should swing us into our topic, uh, our, our brand new series. We decided that, you know, a lot of what we do and have been doing for the last three years or more has been really focused on deconstruction. A lot of people deconstructing their faith. Um, but we haven't spent a whole lot of time and we were realizing talking amongst ourselves, like, you know, we, we haven't spent a lot of intentional focused time on reconstruction of our faith. And so we thought, you know, let's just do a series. Cause I think the four of us take slightly different uh, perspectives on reconstruction and what it is and how we, how we think of reconstruction, how we help other people reconstruct. So we thought, you know, let's just take some time and, um, and talk about each of the different ways that we tend to see reconstruction. 
And um, so there you go. I, I, what's our first one? What are we going to jump into first? Well, I think we're going to give Derek the uh, kind of floor. We're each going to take like an episode of what's been like standing out to each one of us and how we approach things. And Derek really wanted to talk about uh, quantum physics and spirituality and how that all intersects because Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, uh, that's kind of been like what you've been focused on in this reconstruction process. That's right, Matt. I have been immersed in this whole quantum space for the better part of close to two years now. and. Basically, what what I'm looking at is what in my lifetime, well, not maybe not so much my lifetime, but close to my lifetime, what has been the thing that has experienced the most advancement, the most growth, and and when I look at it, quantum physics is the area of intellectual discipline that has advanced greater than anything else. In fact, this is the specific branch of science that literally changed everything that made everything that we know to be true today uh possible hmm. and and i also believe that this is another expression of spirituality yeah that's the way yeah. i see it yeah Eric, just just for you i revisited today to wrap my mind around it what is the higgs field what is the higgs boson as we're as we're getting into this topic and i I tell a lot of people I work with all the time, you know, in my next life, I really want to come back as a, as a physicist that studies this stuff and can wrap my mind around it more. So that last thing that you said, this, this fits in with yours, another expression of spirituality. Tell us more. Well, it, it's, it's basically this, like uh, quantum physics basically is understanding the physical universe at its most minute level, at its most elemental and so we find, you know, as, as you begin to dwell, uh, drill down into uh, molecular structures and atomic structures, uh, you get down to, um, you know, basically the the, uh, the structure of an atom was basically uh, protons and neutrons in the in the uh, in the nucleus and electrons orbiting around it, right? And, and we found that that was actually not the way it actually works, but that was kind of how it was explained. And then you get further down and you find that that protons and neutrons are made of quarks. You know, you have up quarks and down quarks. And I think that as we get more sophisticated and we get into further hair splitting, we'll find that there are even more smaller components of the atom. In other words, that you can continue to split the atom until um, or split uh, atomic particles or, or components. I mean, ad infinitum. That's what I think. Just like how the the universe is uh, vast and limitless, uh, according to our understanding, I think that the the structure of the atom is limitlessly small. <laughs> and and the what I what I really found really interesting about this is that there's a phenomenon about quantum physics in that. The object that you are observing is altered by the act of observation. And this ties into spirituality because we all have the same Bible, basically, you know, different different versions, different translations, all of that, but basically the same Bible. And yet and still, you can have 
10 people looking at the same Bible and literally get 10 different interpretations. Why is that? Because I believe that the subject matter is altered by observation. In other words, what one person sees is not what the other one will see. And and that means that basically quantum physics is that we don't actually know the position of a thing or we don't know the velocity of a thing. All we can do is approximate. And in other words, we can uh, come up with a, a close estimation of behavior, of velocity, of position. And and I can get deeper into it, but that's you know that's kind of kind of where I am. And and when we look at God and we look at Jesus and we look at um, you know the 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 uh, the character and nature of the Holy Spirit, all of these things really to me tie in to this whole quantum theory. And but but how how okay yeah. here here's an example. God said, "Let there be light." Yeah. Okay, and so so then there were there was light. So what happened? What 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 took place there? And I believe that if you go to First John four and eight, you look at you see God is love. Okay, so by that there there's uh, there are two types of um, of field interpretations in in physics. You have um, uh, there there's like a strong nuclear uh, force, weak nuclear force, electromagnetic force, and um, uh, what I forget what the other one is, but then you have what they call the, what they what would be called the unified field and the unified field in my opinion is love because god is love everything exists in god and god exists in everything mm-hmm. so everything that is in the observable universe exists in this field so what happens is is in in quantum physics basically there are two types of uh phenomenon that occur in the field one is the particle which is a a thing a a point and then the other is a wave which basically is an interruption or um an alteration in the field and so when god says let there be light <clears throat> if you look at quantum physics that light has the unique property of being both a particle and a wave yes and you you could tie that back to humanity where we are physical that is, we are a particle, and we are spirit. That we are a wave. Oh. And when you look at the human, the makeup of the human uh, chemistry, just the, our our basic uh, physical chemistry that we are made of, literally the same stuff that stars are made of. I mean, it, it, there are so many different directions that I can go in. I'm. I, I'll be honest. I'm not particularly focused in this. I'm just really kind of all over the board, but it's fascinating because, you know, I see humanity as this expression of, of the, or, or let me put it this way. It's like the greatest expression of energy because it's intelligent energy. It's like light doesn't have an intelligence of its own. We direct it, we interpret it, we understand it, but it's, all about how our our perception of it is and our use of it is. So it seems that Spirit, tell me if this is right. Um, I think what I'm hearing you say is like we exist in this gigantic quantum force field 
um, that is love. Like we are embedded in that in our in our physical makeup and in our spirit makeup. I wouldn't even say embedded in it. I would say intertwined in it. Because Mm -hmm. when you look at how a particle appears in the field, it doesn't appear separate of the field. Right. It it basically something happens in the field and the 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 actual technical term is exciting the field. That when you excite the field, a particle appears. So Hmm. when you look at human beings, and and again, this is just kind of like tying um, uh, scientific to spiritual to natural, that even the the mere the mere uh, process by which a human being appears in the earth, <laughs> there's some excitement that happens <laughs> that, that produces the human being, and so it, what 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 happens is that you you produce this phenomenon that is both a a particle or a, 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 a you know a particle and then it's, it's also a um a wave it's it's an interruption in the field it's something that actually um it in and and here's the other thing too just like how in quantum physics you can't predict what a quantum object will do under observation likewise you can't predict the same with people it's like just to me it's it's an amazing uh intertwining of what we understand about humanity and the natural, what we understand about our spiritual nature, and tying all of this back to the quantum. So, one, uh, um, so Derek, I find this is so interesting to me because this is actually like I have a whole week where I work with people on on the idea of of quantum mechanics and how that fits into um, our spirituality. So, I'm finding what you're saying fascinating because you approach it, you know, slightly differently than I do, which is I think is all good. Um, one of the, I, I was reviewing as I was reviewing what the Higgs field and the Higgs boson because when the when the Higgs boson particle was discovered in 2012 I think confirmed in 2012 by one of the fancy accelerators I forget which one um, over in CERN I think so I think that's the one um, but what they just to review this it's a little mind boggling so the Higgs field is all around us right where every it's it's embedded throughout the universe. And as other particles that we're familiar with, like, like Derek, that you mentioned, electrons and protons and neutrons and other ones too, as they go through the field, they, they become excited, like you said. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives those particles mass. And so the accelerator kind of like sent enough particles through it at near, nearly at the speed of light until a little bit of the Higgs field is kind of broken off. And we believe that that was a Higgs boson particle. But interestingly, um, electrons will get mass, neutrons will get mass, protons don't. Protons don't interact with the Higgs field and right. they don't age. They, they don't age. A proton from, that's coming from a million light years away doesn't age by the time it reaches Earth, by the time it reaches us. And so for me, it's this at the quantum field of the fifth dimension is timeless it's where like no time exists it's where all possibilities are are there and for me god is so abundant the possibilities are so abundant that it's not that that's where i find god but that's where i let go of all the stuff mm-hmm. that can get in my way of perceiving god and that's where i enter the world of limitless possibilities as well and so for me, that's kind of the inter- that's the intersection for me of spirituality and this fascinating uh, this fascinating thing. And so again, when I'm reincarnated, I want to understand this with my human mind a little bit better. 
because <laughs> it's it's just so damn fascinating. You know, the other thing too is like the wave theory. <clears throat> uh, basically, you know, things go up and down, and you know, there's there's an oscillation, and and when you when you think about this, like. Um, the the interesting thing about the Higgs boson until until they did actually quote unquote discover it in 2012, it was basically theoretical. It, it was something yeah, that, for like 40 that, years they were doing equations with this. Yeah, it was like mathematically we know that it should be there. We've just never had the the ability to observe it. And so basically the the Higgs boson is is unique because there are different types of uh, bosons. It's part of the one of the particles that appears in the unified field. But the uh, the Higgs boson is is unique in its ability to uh, to create other particles. That's and the, it doesn't spin either. Right. It has no that, and that's the you know you have upspin, downspin, and all of these different um, uh, characteristics of of quantum particles. But it doesn't spin. It's static. But it is it is the thing from which basically everything else emerges from, and that's why they call it the God particle. You know what I find interesting about this whole conversation is that, like, once you and, and I and I and I never want to say like get done re- deconstructing because it's not my belief that you do, but once you get to a place where you've deconstructed enough, it's almost like like our natural um, interests kind of kick in. We we no longer live with fear. We're no longer afraid of God and all this. And so it's interesting, Derek, that you are just enamored by quantum physics and 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 quantum theory and all that and then when we get into uh you know an episode where where katie is featured and keith and myself um on what is interesting us in in our reconstruction and all that kind of good stuff is that it'll take on a different tone and there'll be different interests and i just i just love that that once you shed the whole fear thing it's kind of like you you move from a place of what should you do in life to what do you want to do in life? What do you want to learn about? What do you want to focus on? And and I think when when we live in that place, we just I think we can thrive and flourish. Yeah, yeah. I mean when when you have no fear, basically that takes the limitations off. That's right. Nothing you go into the fifth trying. dimension, like literally. Yeah. And and so this this is the thing for me is that um there is something, and 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 one of the things that I've been accused of in this is they say, okay, well, when you get so technical, scientific about it, you take away faith, and and I I absolutely disagree because even even these scientists, even Bohr's, even Einstein, uh, all of these all of these guys, they knew that there was there's something else, there was something that they didn't quite understand. Um, you know, Richard Feynman said that if you think you understand quantum physics, you don't. And and that's really true because the thing is, is that in order to in order to interpret this, in order to apply this, that you have to have a measure of faith. In other words, faith doesn't go away. It just gets transformed from something, you know, uh, spooky and, and abstract into something like, OK, well, this is a little bit more mm-hmm. concrete. So for you, Derek, it's sort of like you've deconstructed sort of Christianity as we've all known it and grown up with it and said, okay, all that's bullshit. I'm done with that. And then so for you, um, you, you see now that, okay, it seems like if I'm going to start from scratch with my, what I understand about God and the universe and myself, and for you, this quantum theory, quantum mechanics and stuff, 
And you're seeing what you're noticing is there's a there's things going on in quantum that are fascinating, but you you can see parallels between the quantum and at least some things that 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 like you were saying, you know, God is love, and okay, you know, like when Paul says that um, you know all things were created by Christ, and in Him all things hold together. Well, then mm-hmm. you would say, you know, scientists would say that well, there's something called a strong force, right? There is there they admit scientists admit there. Uh, there are certain particles that should fly apart, only, and so they know there is some unnamed force that's holding them together. And so you would say, "Oh, well, okay." Yep. Paul says it's Christ. You would say, "Well, it's love. Uh, love is the strong force because that's God." Um, so, so in other words, is it is it sort of like for you that um, what's happening now in quantum mechanics is just giving you new language to kind of reinterpret some of these things? Well, it's not even it's not even so much reinterpreting it. It, it. It's like basically, okay, where where does where does the spiritual and the physical meet? Where do they meet? Where where does this dovetail? Because this has to this has to happen. Now in Christianity, we say that it's Christ. That's where that's where the spiritual and the inter, and, and the uh, and the natural inter, intersect or intersect. And with with quantum physics or quantum mechanics. The 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 same thing basically, um, what the what the quantum is is looking at things uh, at the how how can I say it? It's like at the, at the very level of of creation. In, in other words, what what is this? What is this made of? What is this thing that we believe of that we believe in? What is it comprised of? And and so when we look at quantum physics, we see we see things that happen. And matter of fact, Albert Einstein uh, called. Um, quantum entanglement he called it spooky action at a distance you know mm-hmm. but but the thing <laughs> is is that i mean think about this uh if we have a loved one that we you know uh, our, our parents or a child or a sibling or a friend you know we we spend time with them we become quantumly entangled and when that person dies even though they are not physically with us anymore you know that there's something that's in you that's still with them and something that was with them that's still with you. And, and the, and the, the uh, theory of quantum entanglement holds that uh, something that influences or changes one object that's been quantumly entangled with another instantaneously affects the other one. Yes. And it's irrespective of distance, which that was something that, that gave Albert Einstein a great deal of, of, of trouble, a great deal of angst because in order for this to happen, that meant that there's something out there that's actually faster than the speed of light, and for him, that was a that was a constraint. Um, and and if you think about this, if God created everything, then God must be, or He must have the ability to do things faster than what He created them. He doesn't have that limitation, or she doesn't have that limitation. So, and what's also? Oh, sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It was, it's just like not, I still believe, I believe in Jesus. That, that hasn't changed. I, I'm not, I, I haven't de- deconstructed beyond that. But I think that the interpretation of it is, is that when we, you know, we super spiritualize everything, so there's no practical application and, and people say, oh, well, you can't understand this. And I'm saying, you know, based on what the, uh, you know, what the, the, uh, the fathers of quantum physics have done, is that they brought a level of understanding to it, that there is some interpretation that we can grasp and apply. That's all. Well, 
And what's exciting to me are a couple of things. Uh, the way you're kind of explaining it, Derek, and with your um, your kind of declaration of uh, of Jesus there, um, this expands or uh, deepens my understanding of the expansion of the Christ event. Um, because we know that the way we experience time is not how time actually is. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's an important part of, of quantum mechanics, of quantum theory. And it's what, what you've been saying also too kind of, um, I think deepens my understanding of the potential of impact that we can have on the world. I just imagine if every, every person who was into Jesus, whatever, whatever they call themselves, like, oh my gosh, if we all sort of were aware of quantum entanglement and the impact that we could have, that we do have and focus that attention um, through Mm -hmm. time and space, like what could we create the world? How could we, how could we manifest the kingdom of God here on earth? How could we, live into that Christ event each and every day. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's really it because w- w- this is where I am. I believe that all of humanity is quantumly entangled. I believe that there is not a human being that is separate from another human being. And, and I right. believe that the reason why the world is in the state that it's in is because we haven't fully embraced this quantum entanglement that as you go, so go I. So that means that anything that I do to bless you blesses me or anything that I do to curse you curses me. And, and oh. so when, when, because of the quantum entanglement it, and, and it's like, this is why I think Paul was able to say that neither, uh, neither life nor death, nor height, nor depth, uh, nor principalities, nor power can separate us from the love of God. This is, that is an, ex- an explanation of quantum entanglement. Yeah. In other words, we are all interconnected, and God is in all of us, and we are all in God. And and I've I've actually taken the bold step of saying that we are God. I mean, we, we, basically, we are His manifestation or her manifestation in the field. So I was I was going to ask you about that next, Derek. Um, so this is <laughs> this is the one area where I get my I, I don't know I get a little nervous, I get a little something. Um, so maybe you could explain that more. I bet there's some people, some people listening really resonate with that or they'd like to hear um, or they're very shocked by that but like what do you mean when you say like we are god because i do not feel like I, i'd be i'll be honest i have a cold today um i was uh, annoyed er- earlier today and then i watched british baking i did not feel very godlike well i mean you know basically we frame our world um you, uh, there's this uh phenomenon it's called neural wisdom and neural wisdom basically um uh, has applied techniques to uh, to basically frame how your day goes, and and if you're mindful of these things, then then basically you shape and frame the direction of your day. Now there are things that happen that are beyond your control. Just like there, like there may be, if there is a wave of light or a particle of light, there may be something else that comes in that interrupts the field around that. And 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 causes the light to be obscured. There are things that are that are beyond our control. But the thing is, is that we dictate how things go for us. Basically, um, I think it was Stephen Covey that that said that life is ten percent of ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent how you react to it. So we have the ability to change things. Not only that, we we have the ability. And I think about this too, is that when um in the Bible where it says that um that God made man another or, or made God um 
breathed into the into the into the man the breath of life that there's another um older hebrew translation of that that says that he made god or that he made man another speaking spirit so if he made man another speaking spirit that meant that god had to be a speaking spirit and that meant that he gave man the same ability well what was the first thing that god did he created and how did he create he spoke right so if he gives man the ability to speak then that means he gives man the same ability to create now at our level we we see only what we create in our world I, I I determine who I talk to and how I talk to them. I determine how I react to different situations and circumstances. But when I speak, there is not just sound, but there is also matter that em- that emerges from my mouth. Now, what hap- what is what's in that matter? Well, we know that there's some molecular um, components to that, and we know that at that that beneath that there are some atomic components to that. But what we're understanding about atomic structure is that we really don't know what happens when we speak. We know that our words have power. We know that they that they have the ability to create and destroy, but we really don't know at a subatomic level what happens. Every time we speak, we could be creating an entire universe. And somebody will say, well, well how come you can't, you know, uh, in, intercede in in people's lives. Well, I don't know. I mean, probably for the same reason that God doesn't intercede directly in our lives. <laughs> you know, so, it, it, yeah. I mean, there's you, you can you can really split this hair many ways. So I'm I'm just curious to, to know like where you're coming from again. Going back to the the original question, like um, when you say I am, we are God, but but mm-hmm. but but just a second ago when you were describing creation, you said God created man. So if God existed before there were people then i guess the bottom the the simple question is 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 this panentheism meaning we are in god and god is in us but god is still a separate i hate to say separate god is a another being or a prior being like distinct personality right he's he's the creator not the created um or is it pantheism in which in other words everything is god there is nothing that isn't god and god isn't anything other than created things it's it's all of the above <laughs> i mean it, you know and i know that's not, i love how you can't be pinned down that's that's not the answer that that you're probably looking for but that's that's probably about as <laughs> best as that no. yeah. yeah derek's like a cork he's all over the place you can't you can't get him <laughs> well no you know it, it isn't it isn't even that it's like I, I, like i said i'm not particularly Focus like in in one particular area or one particular direction. It's like to me, I see I see creation not just everywhere, but I see creation happening. And and when you when you look at um, uh, quantum physics and looking at uh, atoms at at the most finite that we understand level. And we and we know that by the by observation that we change the particle, we change the wave. So, in a sense, even by observing, we're creating. We're 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 altering things, and and it's not just changing what is. It, it's actually something showing up that didn't exist before. I mean, there's there, there's so much. There's so much to this, and and I one another thing that I I really um kind of get into as a tangent from the um, from the quantum uh, theory 
is also multiverses and, you know, multidimensional. And, you know, who knows that maybe there, there are other universes that are other, other, um, we could be creating all of this. I mean, it, it could be that we are part of a perpetual creation machine that, that things are being created and destroyed constantly. And one of the things that I saw in quantum physics is where a, a, a particle appears for a, a, a period of time and then it disappears. It's created and then it's destroyed. What if this universe that we live in, that this is not the first iteration of it or even the only iteration of it? What if, what if you know, basically we we look at the universe now and as we're able to understand it, it's expanding. But everything that expands, by our understanding, has to contract. So what happens when you, you have this great expansion and then you have a contraction? And what if it contracts back to this singularity, let there be light, and then it expands again? And, and it does this over and over again. Yeah, there was a fascinating article you probably saw this week about, um, and I can't remember who it was, but it was some Nobel Prize winning scientist who uh, published a theory that um, that the Hawking's energy that they're observing, um, he says that what it is, is is evidence of a prior universe that existed before mm-hmm. our universe, and that yeah. there will be other universes after our universe, which is a very fascinating theory to me. Like this idea that um, literally uh, this entire universe will collapse back and it'll all start over again, and there'll be another universe with a completely different. I mean, I don't even know, maybe not different people, maybe us, but just in other forms and other yeah. uh, expressions uh, of life. But, but this, if, you, the, if you think about it, that's how that, life does. That, it's like, you know, when Jesus says that, you know, behold, um, the old things are gone. Behold, I'm making all things new. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if that's, that's kind of making all things new. And to make all things new, you kind of have to get rid of the old. That's right. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Right. Pretty fascinating stuff. I mean, it's it's all... You know, I'm I, like I said, I'm I'm really kind of um, I'll, I'll be honest that I'm ordinarily a pretty focused person, but when it comes to this man, I am like I'm I'm completely scattershot. But the thing is, is that for me, it's this fantastic journey that that there is no limit to where it goes. There is no measurable depth to the rabbit hole, and and that's and to me that's exciting because I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly growing. And and everything that I've known about theology, now I'm seeing this, uh, you know, played out in in the, um, you know, in the the understanding of quantum mechanics. Mm. Yeah, and there is no limit to quantum theory, but there is a limit to <laughs> this episode. So we are going to have only to land in this, this dimension. Plane. Only in this dimension. Yeah, maybe in another dimension. This episode goes on ad infinitum. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? I don't. But if you do, message us or something. You know, we got a website. HereticHappyHour.com. Send us a message. We got a hotline. Derek told you the number earlier. And we have something exciting also on our website. It is a bookstore for all you bibliophiles. So if you go to HereticHappyHour.com and you go, up to the, you go up to the top bar, you will notice there is a bookstore there. And they, what we have is exciting. We have books from all of our, well, most of our Heretics of the Weeks. And most of the books are 15% off normal retail prices. So you're going to get some extra money in your pocket by saving money, and you're going to support the show. So check out that bookstore. 
See if you have a uh, if if there's a book up there that you don't have that you've always wanted and and snag that today. Are those books available? This genuine question, like paperback, hardback, and a Kindle. I think it's just the it's just the uh, just the paperback. I think it's not the, the okay. physical book. Yes. Yeah. The okay. So book. It's not a quantum book. No. It's a not, a, book. not a quantum book. It's it's a uh, it's more of a Newtonian book. Got it. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> well played, man. Very well played. All right, y'all. We also got a few Facebook groups we want to tell you about, and we hope that you are joining. If you're not already a member of Heresy After Hours, we're 2,100 heretics just like you are asking tough questions, and they're also giving lots of snarky, but very supportive answers. I'll actually be doing just um, once in a while um, meditations on there too, so people that want to enter that quantum field, you can join us there. Oh. I might bring my harp around yeah. once in a while. Yeah, I might. Uh, we also have a group that's exclusive for our Patreon members. Patreon members, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're uh, just thrilled that we get to be part of this community with you. And so if you do become um, a Patreon member, you can join that exclusive group and have exclusive access to the four of us. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we really do. We love all of you who listen to the Heritage Happy Hour podcast so faithfully. We really do. We love you. Everyone that participates in the Facebook groups, we love you. But you know who we really, really, really love and appreciate? You Patreon supporters. You people are the best. And you really um, have gone the extra mile to bless us. And we want to bless you guys. So um, we've added some new tiers. If you go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, um, we've got some new tiers there. We're now doing these weekly video posts for each of us to take a, a different week and we'll post uh, exclusive videos for those at the $25 level and up. Uh, but even at the $2 level and the $10 level, there's also there's a lot of cool stuff available uh, and all the levels. So go check that out. Lots of amazing stuff. Bonus footage, bonus uh, interviews, um, bonus uh, podcast episodes, just amazing stuff out there for all of you beautiful people that support us through Patreon. Thank you so much. Yes. And if you enjoy this podcast, Please go out and give it a five-star rating on iTunes. Because if you do that, you will become quantum entangled with the, the people of the Heretic Happy Hour. What if, what if they don't want to be quantum entangled? Yeah, too bad. Tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're, just by listening to this podcast, you are now quantumly entangled with the Heretic Happy but Hour. But you don't, so you don't have to physically touch. It can be through the air. That's right. Mm-hmm.